Good morning, everyone. You might be familiar with uh, The Office. Uh, so we wanted to show you a few clips as we are talking about the series, Work Matters. Uh, I don't know if, if it's just on The Office, but I don't know if you ever run into some practical jokes that happen in your place of employment. I'll be honest and share with you that from time to time here at Kettlebrook, that has been the case. Uh, give you one example, just recent one, was uh, young David Sisdek, who is our, our, our youth pastor, uh, was gone for Christmas, and he came back to an office that looked like uh, this. Um, I am not supposed to say who did this, but they gift-wrapped his entire office. It happened to be some of the students who are off of school for, that are part of his ministry, and they're all away this weekend, so none of them even know I'm showing you that. But David, what he decided to do, he's like, you know what I'm going to do? I'm going to leave all this stuff gift-wrapped for three months. And if I haven't unwrapped it in three months, I'm going to throw it away because I obviously don't need it. I thought that was pretty brilliant. No, he ended up unwrapping it. But um, one of the reasons we showed that clip from the office is because there's something about uh, when you, if you're familiar with that show, uh, it's, this, it's this parody on kind of office work. And it would seem like most of the employees there, they're working for a paper company, and there's just not much to get excited about with paper. And so it's kind of this drudge, if you would. It's the daily grind. It's the, it's the check the box, punch the clock, get in and get out. And the highlight of the day is maybe when someone puts meatballs in someone's drawer, okay? Or, or if there's some kind of office drama. Some of you may be able to relate to this. You know, kind of going, I don't know if I'm just punching in and punching out. But, but, but if you can relate, that's one of the reasons we wanted to show this clip. Uh, there's a story that goes like this. One day, uh, a man walked up. He saw, he saw some bricklayers. And he walked up to the first bricklayer and he asked him the question. He says, hey, what are you doing? And the, the guy was annoyed. And he says, what does it look like I'm doing? I'm laying bricks. And so he went over to the second guy laying bricks and he said, what are you doing? And he said, I'm making a living. And he walked to the third guy. He says, what are you doing? He says, I'm building a cathedral. See, the way that we see our work will influence the way that we work. Okay? The way that we see or understand our work will influence the way that we work. And we're in this series, Work Matters Short Series. We're in the middle of this series. So what we're trying to do is ask the question is, how does the way that we see our work as followers of Jesus impact and influence the way that we work? What does it mean to follow Jesus in the workplace? What does that look like? And so we've been wrestling through that together. Last week we looked at Genesis chapters 1 and 2. We saw some things. We saw that work is one way that we are able to worship and glorify God. Worship is one way. And we saw that we as, as humans, we were given work before the fall of humanity. Before sin entered the world, we were given work because God is a God who works. And because he gave us this gift of work, it's, it was a gift. It was a blessing. And we saw this last week. This uh, After last Sunday, I got a couple pieces of feedback from a couple of you. They're part of our Kettlebrook family. I wanted to share them because they were exciting to me and encouraging. I wanted to encourage you with them. Here's the first one. Um, Sunday after your message, I had to do a part-time job of mine that I struggle with. A few years ago, my husband lost his main income job and at that point chose to go back to school to pursue a different career. He is currently in his second year at Marine Park, and some of the tuition was not covered by his program, on top of the fact that his monthly income is now lower. So I had heard about a job being a grocery shopper for Meyer as a part-time second job. Even though, uh, sorry, everyone, I thought, everyone thought I was crazy, including myself. But after a while, I realized who I was shopping for. The mom who had a newborn baby 
an elderly woman whose husband has passed away and whose son was ordering groceries online from another state for her. A woman who had just had a knee replacement surgery and wasn't mobile and more. I started to feel like it was a blessing to do this and earn money at the same time. Now, of course, it's still work and it's still late, often after my long days at my first job, plus getting my family off the bed. But what I heard last Sunday was God saying to me, keep being kind. Keep having conversations with people who are feeling alone. Keep helping those in need. I'll be watching for my chance to invite them to our gathering at Kettlebrook and share God's word from now on. Sunday, I was in a grocery shopping order and I saw this sign, which seemed perfect. This next slide. Bloom where you're planted. Isn't that cool? I was, I was super encouraged by that uh, piece of feedback as someone saying, hey, um, just wrestling through this in the work that I have. Another one I got was this. I got a text. Troy, you were right on, uh, sorry, you were right when you mentioned that too many of us identify ourselves based on what our occupation is and how successful we are at it. I know I can be found guilty of this myself. In reality, one's job may not always be one's primary ministry, but it certainly can be a way God uses us. I believe God has me in my current leadership role to prepare me for something else. I don't know what it is, but it still may involve staying with my current employer. This past year, I've also realized that my wife and children are also my ministry. And guess what? I'm not so good at that one. But bottom line, God is speaking to me through the scriptures. I was encouraged by that as well. So I wanted to share that with you. I know that you're, there are many other stories like that as we wrestle through this topic of how do we see work in light of following in Jesus. So this morning what we're going to do is we're going to be kind of, in, we're going to take a turn. If you, we saw Genesis chapters 1 and 2, but Genesis chapter 3, which is where we're going to be today, is where work takes a little bit of a turn. Where work becomes difficult. Where work becomes work. And so grab a Bible with me and open up to Genesis chapter 3. This should be on page 3 in the Bibles that you have under the chairs in front of you. Or if you have an app, uh, you can uh, tap on Genesis chapter 3. We're just going to read verses 17 through 19 this morning. And as you read this, uh, give you the context of the first two chapters. God created all things, including us as humanity. He made us in his image and said, hey, I want you to fill the earth with my image. And then he he gave us this base camp of this Garden of Eden and said, fill the earth with my image. And he said, everything that is in here is yours. You can have all of it. Except this one tree, the tree of the the knowledge of good and evil. Don't eat from that one. Okay, because then you'll know evil. So what do we do? Go right to it. Evil one says, hey, God's holding out on you. You need to have this. And so uh, we took of that fruit and all of a sudden, instead of just knowing that which is good, now we know that which is evil. We experience sin. We experience death. We experience division. We were once walking with God. We We were in unity with one another. And now there's division between God and us. There's division between us and one another. There's division between us and the creation itself. And so God steps in then after that and he, he places a curse on, on the serpent. He says, cursed are you above all the animals. And he says, you're going to eat the dust of the ground. You're going to crawl on the ground. And then he turns to Eve and he says, hey, uh, you're going to have some serious pain now in childbirth. Ladies, can I get an amen to that one? I mean, that's what I've heard. I can't say I know. But anyway, um, And then he turns to Adam and he says these words that we are about to read here in verses 17 through 19. So that gets you up to speed before we dive in. Why don't you stand as we read the word of God and then um, I'm going to pray and we'll read these verses. Father in heaven, thank you for your word. Thank you that it is able to discern. It is able to speak into us. It's, It's useful for so many things, among them correcting, rebuking, training in righteousness. 
and teaching us, Lord. I pray that you would help us to see the relevance of these ancient words this morning in our lives and we would live in light of them anew. We pray this in Christ's name. Amen. All right, Genesis 3:17. To Adam, he, this God, said, Because you listened to your wife and ate from the tree about which I commanded you, you must not eat of it. Cursed is the ground because of you. Through painful toil you will eat of it all the days of your life. It will produce thorns and thistles for you, and you will eat the plants of the field. By the sweat of your brow you will eat your food until you return to the ground, since from it you were taken. For dust you are, into dust you will return. This is God's word. Why don't you have a seat? If you've ever struggled to get out of bed in the morning and get in the shower and go to work, if you have ever wondered why your hard drive crashes right before that presentation that you need to give, if you have ever felt unappreciated or underappreciated by your employer, if you have ever uh, mumbled under your breath about the traffic during your commute or done more than mumble about it, if you have um, experienced at home what, what seems to be the insanity of cleaning up after your children again and again, And again, and again, and again, sorry, again. If you have ever had an employee not show up for their shift again, not call in again. If you've ever had to make not one or two, but 12 trips to the store to try to complete that project that you've been working on in the basement that's been driving you crazy. If, if you have ever grown weary of the increasingly unrealistic expectations or the entitlement of your clients or customers, if you've ever passed out on the couch before making it to bed, or if you've become dependent upon the sacred coffee grounds to awaken you from your lethargy in the morning, if you've had any of those things happen to you, you need to look no further than what we just read to understand why that's the case. Because it is sin. It is the fall that has impacted and influenced you and me and the world that we live in, okay? It's the implications of what happened in that garden that took us from the garden to what we experience regularly as toil. Now, a few things from Genesis 3, 17 through 19, I just want to point out to you as we process through this. First one is this. Um, if you look at this next slide, when God does this thing where he, he, he kind of confronts Adam, he brings up the word eat five times. In other words, hey, you ate of the tree that I told you not to eat of. And now part of what this curse is going to be is that there's, it's going to be around eating. It's not going to be easy anymore. It's going to impact everything, including our eating, which happens three times a day. How many of you make meals and you know it's not very easy, isn't it? It's not easy to make good meals. There's toil involved in that. It would be wonderful to eat them, but boy, it takes some work. Another thing that's interesting is if it says here, cursed is the ground because of you. If you went back to verse 14, which we didn't read, when God confronts the serpent, he says, cursed are you. He goes right at him. He says, cursed are you. But when he goes to Eve and when he goes to Adam, he doesn't necessarily say cursed are you. Here he says to, to Adam, cursed is the ground because of you. And through painful toil, you will eat of it all the days of your life. Now, that doesn't mean Adam's off the hook or Eve's off the hook. Here, um, Dr. Bruce Waldke has this quote. I really appreciate it. It says this. This next slide. It says, The man's natural relationship to the ground, which was before to rule over it, to care for it, as we were gardeners, if you would, is reversed. Instead of, sub- of submitting 
to him, the ground, it resists and eventually it swallows him. Before where there was goodness, there was fruitfulness and every tree in the garden produced fruit that was good to the eye and pleasing to the taste. Now here's what we get. Next slide. Toil and sweat, thorns and thistles. We get toil and sweat, thorns and thistles. That's an album cover, isn't it? Toil and sweat, thorns and thistles. But this is what we get. Now, this week as I was studying through it, I was like, you know what? I want to look closer at these words, toil and sweat and thorn and thistle. And I looked up toil and sweat, and these are not the same words that God used to describe work in chapters uh, 1 and 2. These are different words. And um, sometimes the word painful toil is even translated, maybe a version that you have here today says, through sorrow, you will eat of it all the days of your life. And then I was like, you know what, Troy? Okay, put the Hebrew away. It doesn't matter uh, what I think those words are translated as. You all know what this is. You've all toiled. Have you not? You've all toiled at something. You've all sweated. None of us are above toiling. I don't care what your economic status is. I don't, I don't care how cool you are. Like, toil. You have toiled at something and you have sweat. No matter who you are. Now, thorns and thistles, again, p- pretty straightforward. If you're not outside a lot, maybe you don't have a lot of experience with these. I grew up uh, on a dairy farm, so I have some uh, fun experiences with thorns and thistles. We had uh, some woods and I would go through the woods at times. Um, just being a boy, right? And I remember one time I was young and I stepped on some thorns and they went all the way through my shoe into my foot. And I'm like, this is a shrub. This is a plant. How does that happen? Have any of you had like really gotten a good thorn in the foot or something? Like, you know what I'm talking about. These are plants. They don't produce fruit. They're shrubs. And they're only good for one thing, which is kindling. It's horrible stuff. Thistles are also not very cool. So we had a big heifer pasture. It's where the young cows would go out and do their thing. And every year, twice in the summer, usually my dad would give me a shovel. He'd say, here you go. I'm like, okay. So put the boots on, put the pants on, put the denim jacket and the leather gloves because you not want to mess with thistles. These thistles in the, in the field would grow up and dad's like, I want you to cut them down. So you have to take them a shovel and get them at the roots of it. But at that time I was about this tall and those thistles were like this tall. Now, you don't, I don't have those in my yard now, but they exist. Thistles this high. And you do not want to mess with them. Now, we still do get thistles from time to time. I don't know about you. I get them. And I, the reason I know they're in my yard is because my kids come in crying because they just stepped on them with their bare feet. You know what I'm talking about? Yeah, you got to pull those things. Now, when it comes to toil and, and sweat, thorn and thistle, we find in the Hebrew scriptures in the book of Ecclesiastes, uh, just this, the implications of this, the, just a real honest, honest thought about this. He says, so I hated life because the work that is done under the sun was grievous to me. All of it is meaningless, a chasing after the wind. Some of you know, um, my, my yard is, is really not something that you need to be jealous about. Okay, uh, 821 Kings Ridge. Okay, like if you drive by in the summer, you're like, yikes, what is wrong with that? Here's one of the things that's wrong with it. Um, I have two, uh, my father-in-law and my dad are both kind of organic guys. My father-in-law like, is part of ownership of, a, of an organic fertilizer company. So you can't just, you just can't round up stuff. You know what I'm talking about? Just round it up. You, know, you can't do that. So I have to pluck things by hand. To really be in honor of my elders, if you would. And so you know what I'd do for eight years? I'd be out there popping dandelions and thistles by hand. Okay? So I would try to convince myself it was therapeutic, and to some extent it is. But I gotta be, I gotta be real frank with you. It, last year I just got some weed and feet stuff. I just got, just don't tell them. 
Okay, don't tell him. But it got to the level of chasing after the wind insanity. And I was like, okay, I need to actually get some weed and feed here. Uh, Ecclesiastes chapter 4 says this, and more honest reflection as well. What does a man get for all the toil and anxious striving with which he labors under the sun? All his days, his work is pain and grief. Even at night, his mind does not rest. This too is meaningless. Now, some of you are like, Troy, I'm not sure my, my work is pain and toil, but this part, that's you, isn't it? You try to go to sleep at night and you can't, your mind doesn't shut off because it's still at work. It's thinking about the next thing that you have to do the next week or the project, the deadline that's due. And so you can't sleep. Your mind does not rest because of the toil and sweat, thorn and thistle. The impact of sin on our work. But sin has impacted everything, okay? Just, just, and we're in a series on work, but I just want to time out. I hope you understand sin's impacted everything. It's impacted the way that you see God. It's impacted the way that I see God. It's impacted the way that we see one another. It's impacted the way that we see ourselves. Sin has made toil out of pretty much everything. Here's, here's what I mean by that. Sin has made it toil to eat. Sin has made it toil to listen. Sin has made it toil to be content. Sin has made it work to rejoice. Sin has made it work to love. We have to labor now and toil to do even these things that were meant to be given to us as a gift, as a blessing. And so now, specifically with work, we don't see work as we should anymore. We don't see it as a way we can worship and glorify God. We see work as a couple different things. It's been massively distorted. I talked about this last week a little bit. I'm going to talk about it again. We see work now as a way that we are affirmed, as our identity. It's one of the ways that's been twisted. We see work in a way that's been distorted so that it's just become a task to earn us money. We see work now, and it's been warped in such a way that, that work itself becomes a way for us to put ourselves above another by, as we climb the ladder. Toil and sweat, thorn and thistle. But it doesn't have to be this way. One of the things that's nice about reading Genesis 3 is for us to know that this is still left. The story does not end in Genesis 3. There is much more that unfolds. That in fact, there's, there's a promise in the midst of the curse. God says to the serpent, he says, he inlays the curse with a promise. And he says, hey, one of the offspring of the, of the woman will crush your head. And the rest of the account of the drama of scripture unfolds us the story that's continuing to point to the one who would come, the son of man, who would restore, who would undo who would redeem and bring God's kingdom. Now, are we still going to have toil and sweat? Yes. Is our work still going to produce thorns and thistles at times? Yes. But if we understand our work in light of the grander narrative, we're going to see it differently. And when we see our work differently, we're going to work differently as well. It's a beautiful thing. So, so here's what I see in, in our midst. You will likely find yourself in situations at work that are not optimal. I don't care what your work is. You may work uh, in a job that's not your favorite job. You may work in a job that doesn't uh, reflect the years of expertise and experience that you have. 
You may work with uh, people that are not your favorite people. That, you may, that may actually drive you crazy. But yet, if we follow Jesus, because this account is about him, it's because he's undoing this thing, it means that we can still leverage work to glorify and honor God in the midst of this fallen world. We can. So maybe for you, for example, your work has gone completely unrecognized. Maybe for you, you have a coworker who will consistently come in and try to take credit for your work. Maybe you've been unfairly passed up for a promotion. Maybe you've been discriminated on because of your age or your, your, the color of your skin or your gender. Maybe that's happened. Maybe you've had employees steal from you after extending grace to them. Maybe you've been tasked to do things that actually go against your conscience and your ethics. These are the kinds of things you will find yourself in. You will find yourself in situations probably like that. How do we respond is the question. We are called to respond differently. We are called to to bear up under the toil of those circumstances in those situations. So, if you follow Jesus... Here's what this might look like. I'll give you some practical thoughts. If you follow Jesus, here's what it means. You will take the dirty job at work that nobody else wants to take. You'll take it. I'll do it. I'll say, yeah, I got it. If you follow Jesus, you will take that project, that, that next uh, initiative that nobody else wants to touch because it may be doomed to fail. I don't know. You'll say, I'll do it. If you follow Jesus, you will take the customers, the clients. That nobody else wants to deal with. If you follow Jesus, you will look at each person that you work with differently. And you will want to celebrate them because you understand they're made in the image of God. If you follow Jesus, and let's just say you have a break where you work. You you have breaks. You will not be the first person to run out of the break. And you will not be the last person to come in from the break. Because you don't want to take advantage of your employer's time. You say, Troy, you don't know my employer. Please, trust me. No, I, I get it. But if you follow Jesus, you will be respectful of them. You will honor them, even when it's not easy, even when they're harsh and condescending and try to try to just do whatever they can, potentially. If you have an employer that just wants to do whatever they can to, to, to make money for themselves. I, mean, I, I know many of your stories. I hear these things. I know this is a reality of, of, of some of the things that you wrestle with when we are in the world together. But if we follow Jesus, it's going to change the way that we respond. And you might say, Troy, um, none of those examples that you just give really apply to me. You don't know what you, you don't know my job. And I'd say, you're right. I don't know your job. You know who does? Jesus. He knows your job. He knows what you do. And so if you seek him in that, say, how can I follow you in this job? And listen, he will show you. And what he may show you, though, I just want to warn you, is it may be something that's not easy. It may be those hard things. In fact, if you hear something from him that's hard, I can probably tell you it's probably for sure from him. If you hear something, you're like, I don't want to do that. Probably from him for sure. Now, I understand that I have been a... a, a professional pastor for like 15 years. Uh, I get it. And so when you hear me talk about work, some of you are like, whatever, what do you know? 
Um, that's fine. Fair, fair enough. So I told you we're going to do a panel each week, and we're going to do that. So we've got three of our, our family of faith here who are going to come up and join us this morning. I have them share a little bit about what they, how they wrestle through this at work. So I'm going to have you uh, welcome up Tim, Ann, and Hannah. Can we give them a warm Kettlebrook family welcome? As they come up... Uh, Tim is a service advisor for a BMW Mini Cooper dealer here in the area. That's Tim. Uh, Then we have Hannah, who is a high school English teacher at Oakfield School District. And then we have Anne, who is, and I have to read it, um, a registered diagnostic medical sonographer in maternal fetal medicine. How do you like that? She takes pictures of babies. Okay. So um, the first question I asked our, our, our family here, the panel, um, is what parts of your work life feel like they're under the curse? I think we could all say, okay, there's parts of my job that just feel like they are under the curse. So in this one, Hannah, I'm going to have you start with us. So as a high school teacher, just a teacher in general, I think there's just a lot more responsibilities. Um, and a lot of those responsibilities come from just political reasons, bureaucracy, those kinds of things. Um, and finding the time of the day to get those things done. Well, I'm also doing um, your day-to-day tasks. But after 12 years of teaching also, um, I've just noticed as society changes, I'm also filling the role of parent and therapist and counselor to my students in addition to those things. So I think just finding the time of the day to um, balance those out for my students, it can be very rewarding to um, be in those roles for them. But um, finding the time to do it is also kind of stressful sometimes. Yeah, and overwhelming. Yeah. Thanks, Hannah. Tim, how about you? So I think... Um, anyone who has any type of service job um, can definitely see people at, at their worst. I work at a high-end automotive dealership in service, and uh, expensive cars have expensive repairs. I'm the one to deliver that bad news when it happens. Mm. I, see, I see a lot of anger. Um, I see customers buying cars they really can't afford only to put the repairs on their credit card. Uh, or even go more into debt and trading that car in on the next car. Um, I see people being a slave to the lender. Um, I think, and I think the biggest thing, I think something that even that I've um, had to work through is just I see people who try to find their identity in in what they drive. Yeah. And we talked about this last week as part of the panel as well. There's so many ways that the very things that we do that can be awesome can also be very easily twisted and become an idolatry almost in any in any role that we have. So, Tim, thanks for sharing that. And how about you? What parts of the of, of the work that you do feel like they're under the curse, if you would, or, or a struggle? Well, I have um, a couple of coworkers that have some really, really challenging home lives. And sometimes those situations carry over to the workplace where those folks tend to act out when they're upset. This situation seems like the thorns and thistles described in Genesis 3 to me. Yeah. Yeah, amen. And again, I think we can relate to that. All of us have probably been in that situation to some extent. Second question is, how have you tried to express your faith in the workplace or at school? Uh, how has that went? What's went well and what's not went well? Uh, Tim, do you want to talk us, talk us through that? So an automotive dealership typically isn't a place where there are a lot of people uh, on fire for God, um, but it's where God's called me to be. Um, I've been at my current job for 
over 17 years. So I've got to know a lot of people, a lot of um, customers, a lot of employees. And um, I think that opens up uh, a lot of roads for communication. Um, um, one of my customers who I got to know, she came in and she just had a, a lot of things going on. And, and, and she just said, you know, I just, I just want to end it all. And um, I think like as, as a guy especially, I think we're just, we're, we're not equipped to, to dig into that. And, and I think a lot of times we think, well, geez, I'm just a service guy or I'm, I'm whatever. Mm. But it's, but I'm here where God wants me to be. This is the situation that's playing out. Okay, Holy Spirit, what, what do I do with this? Um, and, and I, and I prayed with her and I think it was, I think especially as a guy, even though the Holy Spirit is telling you what you need to do, you can think of so many different other excuses of like, that's way out of my comfort zone. Yep. Um, yep. But I think um, just you really just have to listen uh, to that. And I prayed with her, and um, and that was about five years ago. And and she still comes in for service, and and she is she is a different person. You know, it's not just because of myself, but you just, you had a part in it. Yeah. Um, yeah. And I think there are times like that. And there's, I think sometimes with customer service, you can think about the negative things and, and, and those types of things. But you also have so many positive things, too. Um, one of my customers, um, he bought a, he was an older gentleman and retired. And he bought a car in 2002 and put over 600,000 miles on it. And, and he's just a, a guy who's on fire for God and just such a mentor uh, for me. And, um, and you can have those positive experiences, too. Yeah. Um, and, he, and he passed away a couple of years ago. And um, Liz and I went to his funeral. And, um, you know, just even thinking about it and just writing this, just how, um, how sad that was and how much he just came into my life. Um, I think employees, that you, you know, you can be a witness for them. And I think for the most part, it's gone really well. You know, there's, there's one person who, uh, who I work with and, and that's funny because his name is, is Paul and my favorite, you know, person in, in the new Testament is the apostle Paul. And, and this Paul is no apostle. <laughs> you, you call him Saul instead. Uh, yeah, right? yeah, Saul. Yeah, what's up? I should just change sure. his name. Um, and, uh, so he calls me Ned Flanders or, uh, Joho, uh, for Jehovah's witness. And, um, but, but we, but we have fun with it. And, and, um, I, I usually use, um, I've got a, for writing up people, I use one of the Kettlebrook pens and I left it in parts and, uh, he called me. He's like, uh, he's like, I think I have your pen. He's like, there's, there's only one person I know who would have a pen that says we're a family of followers of Jesus helping others follow Jesus. So I know who this is. And, um, but I mean, yeah, I mean, it's, it's, um, you know, we have fun with it and, and I couldn't do what I do for over 25 years, um, without being humble, um, for God. And I think just, especially for the guys, um, just try not to think about what you do as, well, I'm just, you know, this guy or this 
role. Um, you know, God's, God's called us to, to do more. Yeah, awesome. By the way, uh, there are pens in your seat backs in front of you. If you want to take one of those home with you, use them as an evangelistic tool. Just don't collect them. I was at Bicknell's house, uh, and there was like 20 of them in the drawer. I said, this is not, this is not what those are for. So, uh, and how about you? Are you next? Hold on. Uh, yeah, you're next. Sorry. I'm going to ask you next. Uh, when I was first invited to go to Medellin, I shared to, that. To Colombia. To Colombia, sorry. Yep, yep. Colombia. I shared that in my process for my decision. That went well until I could perceive virtual stop signs. All in all, that was well-received and supported. What has not consistently gone well is dealing with the hurting people at work. I have felt led to keep loving them and encouraging them, even when they are attacking out of anger and pain. Sometimes I have been successful. Sometimes my human self, my stubborn and pridefulness, stubbornness and pridefulness, tries to control things without surrendering to my Lord's will and gentle encouragement. Go figure, those are the times when I am not successful. Mm. Do you have a Kettlebrook pen? I'm going to take you one today. You should get one. You should get one. No, I'm just, I'm just kidding. Uh, but, and just living that out, you're saying, hey, I was talking through, going through Columbia, and some of my, you know, coworkers were like, well, tell us more about that and, and processing through your faith. Uh, one thing, and, and I didn't tell Anna I was going to do this this morning, but I wanted to surprise her with a fun story. This week, I got a, uh, an email or a text, whatever it was, from some, one of our sisters in, in Christ here amongst her family here at Kettlebrook, and, and she was going in for an ultrasound, and she said, Troy, could you please pray? Um, it's early. Uh, I'm, I'm a little, I'm just a little anxious about it. So I was prayed, and then a couple hours later, I followed up and checked in with her, and uh, I said, "How'd it go?" And she wrote, "She said Ann Wall from from our Kettlebrook family did this ultrasound, and she is just such a gift. So thankful God worked that out today. She is the perfect example of someone who radiates Jesus in her work." And so I was like, "That is so cool!" And we praise God for that. What, what, one of the things that Ann does is she'll take this picture, and uh, if you have, uh, if the people who have the baby have older siblings, she'll take extra pictures and then make them personalized for this, the older siblings and kind of personalize them. So I have a, actually a picture of this was the gal who sent me this week. Hi, mom and dad. Got that picture. Ann did that, and so I'm so excited to, to actually introduce this child to you, hopefully within the next year, from the front um, as a family. So just excited about that, Ann. Thank you for sharing, and thanks for doing what you do as a Registered Diagnostic Medical Sonographer in Maternal Fetal Medicine. Thank you. <laughs> Hannah, how about you? Um, I think working in the public school system, it can just be um, intimidating and challenging sometimes to talk overtly about spirituality, faith, religion. Um, but students definitely notice just little things you do. Um, the patients you have... Um, carving out time for them, um, asking them questions about their interests that are not my interests. Mm. Um, and then one thing I do every year, at the end of the school year, I do a project on identity. So I have um, the students share the three uh, most important aspects that they consider um, important to their identity and who they are. And so to model that, I share the same thing with them. And so the first thing I share is, about my uh, faith and what I believe. And because I do that, um, a lot of students end up feeling much more comfortable sharing those same things about themselves um, so they can witness to each other um, through the project. So, Yeah, that's great. What a great project to give them. Uh, last question I had was, um, 
In what ways do you wish you were better equipped to reflect God at work and school? Uh, Tim, you had mentioned, how do I, how do I dig in? Like, I'm not, I feel like I'm not equipped to sometimes dig in when someone says, hey, I want to end it all. What do I do there? That's one example. But what does that look like? Where you go, how would I want to be better equipped to reflect God? Uh, Ann, why don't you start us off with that question? My response was, well, I am equipped to reflect God at work thanks to the gift of the Spirit. However, I need to put that stubborn, prideful self behind me and not block the promptings of the Spirit. I need to obey. I need to pray more often for others. I need to love as God loves me. He has given me the perfect example in Jesus. Yeah, yeah, yes. And we're going to relate to that, Anne. Thank you for sharing. Hannah, how about you? Sorry. How could you be better equipped? Thank you. Sorry. <laughs> just had a moment. Um, I think just feeling censored in the, the public school can be difficult sometimes when I hear my students' stories and I uh, see them hurting um, in some of their extreme situations. I know that the ultimate reason is because of um, sin and that I want to share that the actual solution to that is Jesus um, and not being able to use those words. And kind of having to dance around that can be a challenge sometimes, wanting to tell them what that ultimate truth is. Yeah, yeah. Tim. Yeah, I think many times in a fast-paced work environment, you can tend to not slow down, not really take time to get to know people. Um, often people who are most upset about a repair aren't really upset about the repair. It's a buildup of, of many things that are going on in their life. At that time, um, I wish that I could display grace in all the situations and show humility to people. I think one thing I try to to do is uh, really think about um, this person is made in the in the image of God. Yeah. Even though he just called me every name under the sun. Sure. He's he's, he's still in the image of God. I don't I don't understand that, but yeah. uh, it, it's like I gotta change perspective. Um, but just let them know that uh, car repairs or, or other things that are going on in, in, their, in their life are definitely an inconvenience, but, um, but God is in control, and, and he has overcome the world. Yeah, that's what Jesus said. I've overcome the world, right? So let me pray. Father, thank you for um, not only the three uh, that we had up front here, but, but I know the answers that would have been given had we had... Uh, 300 of, of the family members come up here and process through and wrestle through these things like this. I pray, Lord, that you would equip us by your spirit in new ways. I pray for all of the patients that Anne gets to, to be near and to point to Jesus. I pray for all the students that Hannah does the same with. And I pray for all the clients and customers that Tim interacts with and engages with. I pray that would be multiplied in this room by everyone that we interact with as we work differently because we're working for you, Father and for your glory. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. Can we give them a, a, a thanks for sharing the time? Thank you, guys. Thank you again for coming up and taking the time. Now, I, I began this morning with a story of a, a, a man who went and um, asked three different men, what are you doing? And one said, hey, I'm laying bricks. One said, I'm making a living. And one said, I'm building a cathedral. Here's a question I want to leave you with. What, well, how would you answer that question? If someone came to you at work and said, what are you doing? How would you answer that question? 
Because yes, work is part of the, 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 the toil, if you would. The thorn and thistle and sweat, in that sense, it can still be that. But as followers of Jesus, we have to move ourselves beyond answer one. We have to move ourselves beyond answer two to answer three, where we understand our work in light of the grander narrative of who God is and what he has done, that we could leverage our work as a way, one way to worship and glorify God. How would you answer that question? You know, I was thinking about it. I was so grateful that when Jesus was on the cross, if he were to ask that question, think about how he would have responded. He could have responded and say, what are you doing up there? He could have said, well, I'm dying a completely unjust and excruciating death. What, do you, what does it look like I'm doing? Or could he, he could have even said, oh, I'm doing what the Father has told me I need to do. But what Jesus said was he said, it is finished. The work is finished because he was doing the ultimate Work on the cross so that our work might be able to once again be seen as a way to worship and glorify the Father so we can be reconnected. Family, it's Genesis chapter 3, verse 18 is the first time in the scriptures we find a word, and that word is thorns, but it is not the last time we find it. We find it again in Matthew chapter 27. Then the governor's soldiers took Jesus into the praetorium and gathered the whole company of soldiers around him. They stripped him and put a scarlet robe on him and then twisted together a crown of thorns and set it on his head. They put a staff in his right hand and knelt in front of him and mocked him. Hail, King of the Jews, they said. They spit on him and took the staff and struck him on the head again and again. After they had mocked him, they took off the robe and put on his own clothes They led him away to crucify him. It should not surprise us at all that Jesus was given a crown of thorns. Because he was literally bearing the curse. He was literally enduring the curse. He was literally overturning it on the cross. So that those of us who could trust in him would say, we believe in you. We trust in the work that you have done. We can be reunited with the Father and we can see our work once again as a way to worship and glorify him. As it was meant to be in the garden, even in the midst of this broken world, this can be the case if we trust in Jesus Christ. The way that we see work will influence the way that we work. May we see the ultimate work that has been done by Jesus Christ. And may it influence the way that we work. Let's pray. Father, thank you for your son, Jesus. Thank you for who he is and what he has done. Thank you that you had, from the very beginning, made it part, even of the curse itself, the promise and the blessing of the one who would come and undo that which we did that which we continue to do to this day, Father, we confess that we are just as guilty as they were. That we are just as guilty of twisting work, twisting everything in our lives because of that which is in us. But Lord, we thank you that your son came and took that twisted 
crown of thorns upon his head and gave his life so that those who trust in him might be saved, redeemed, and see the kingdom here on earth as it is in heaven. May we do this and see this and know this as we work this day and this week and all of our lives because of him. Pray this in Christ's name. And all God's people said, Amen. Amen.